All right, well, good morning. Again, uh, Pastor Eddie isn't here this morning. Uh, I've been dealing with some kidney stone issues, and he told me to be ready to preach. Uh, and then he went between feeling really good and feeling really bad and feeling really good and feeling really bad. If anyone's ever had kidney stones, you know what that's like. I've had a kidney stone. I know exactly what it's like. And um, it's probably the worst experience in the world. And you couple that with the fact that uh, you... I feel terrible, but the idea or the thought of going to the ER or urgent care or any other doctor's office right now is just scary in of itself. Uh, and it just kind of couples, it just adds on to itself. It makes it way worse. And so um, what I would like to do this morning is I want to kind of take you guys back into James. We're going to go back into the James chapter 1 verses uh, 1 through 8 again. We're actually in uh, that section. But we're going to also go through other scriptures, other passages uh, that we've been able to go through in small groups this week. And so if you've been in small groups, some of these are going to sound familiar to you. If you're someone like the Taylors, Chris and Sabrina Taylor, uh, who usually join us out on the boat, uh, they will also go to almost every small group. And so they're in every small group as it happens. So it's going to sound really familiar to them. Uh, but just a lot of takeaways from ha what ha has happened in small group this week. But uh, it's, I wanted this to serve a kind of a dual purpose. One, that it encourages you, kind of like what James was hoping to do when he wrote James, uh, as a kind of an encouragement and an equipment for believers. But then also what I want to do, or what I want this to do, is I want it to encourage you uh, to feel like you might need to get into small groups online. And I know that that kind of sounds self-serving as a church, right? But the reality is, is that you guys need to be in some sort of a small group with other believers, especially during the times whenever there are trials. And uh, just kind of looking at it, there are places all over the world where this happens. Uh, we see some massive amounts of Christian persecution that happen. One of the main areas that everybody might talk about or talks about are places like China, where just the meeting of believers uh, and, and talking about who Jesus is and the fact that he's the Son of God and the fact that um, God is the one that's in control of all things and the creator of all things can cause you to be persecuted, thrown into jail, uh, loss of life, uh, places that are um, coming up that have maybe not been at the surface before, places like Burkina Faso, uh, those places that are seeing in 2019 a shift of believers really being persecuted where they once uh, practice or, or uh, profess that they had religious diversity or, or an openness to religion or to Christianity. Now we're seeing uh, that Christians get persecuted. So if you don't know about these things, these are just other things on the news uh, to keep mindful of and to watch. Um, but at the same time, persecution does happen. And right now what we're experiencing is a kind of a form of persecution, right? We can't go to our church. We can't be physically at a church. We're stuck at home. Some of us not even allowed to leave and go out onto the streets. Uh, some of us are not allowed to even go and buy paint. Uh, that's crazy, right? You can't go buy paint and paint your house um, and do projects around the house. Uh, others of us have more freedoms, and you know, in Florida, we're just praying they open up the beaches. That's the main. Uh, that's the main persecution that we're experiencing. And if you're here, you know what that's like. You stare at the beautiful water all day, and then you're told you're not allowed to go out and play in it. So uh, it's a hard thing for us. But no matter what, you're experiencing some form of a persecution. And if you're a people person, an extrovert, someone that likes hugs and kisses and uh, likes to cook for people and watch them as they eat your food. Uh, hi, Karen. How's it going? Um, 
but if you're one of those people, uh, then you know that right now you're just like dying inside. You have a smile on because you know it's what people expect from you. Um, but if someone were to ask you how you're really doing, or if you were to get honest with God for a moment, you as that extrovert would just be, you would just be hurting. Others of you, uh, you're the introverts and you're kind of like not really sure. You're feeling like this crazy joy that you've never felt before. Your tank is full. You feel like you could conquer the world because for the first time ever, people have actually left you alone and that's what you've wanted. And now all of a sudden you're experiencing it and you're like, oh man, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. What do I do with all of this joy? And so let's just think of that for a moment so we all can be on the same page as this form of persecution, right? You have this newfound joy and love, but you don't know how to express it for the first time ever in your life because you've actually been able to be left alone like you've always wanted. So uh, what we want to do is I want to kind of, like I said, we're going to dive into James, but we're going to go to other places in Scripture. And uh, so let's go to the very first beginning of it. And uh, James was written probably the first New Testament book. So we have all these other ones, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We have Romans. We have all the other uh, prison epistles, which would be like the Corinthians and the Thessalonians. Then we have the, the epistles, the pastoral epistles like Timothy and Titus, right? But then we also have James. And James is actually written by the brother of Jesus is what we believe. Uh, and we also believe that he was one of the first ones to to get a book out, to get a, a letter out, right? So the late 40s AD, that's, that's just to give you guys a timetable. And uh, what that would mean is it would mean that there are no gospels in circulation. If this is actually the date, which most people are going to believe, right? There are no gospels in circulation. There are no prison epistles in circulation, which means Paul hasn't even written yet. Uh, there are, it's no pastoral epistles. So no one's being taught through these you know, through Timothy and through Titus, no one has like a defined, here's what a posture is, you know, like in written circulation as far as what our canon, our Bible would say, right? So we don't have that. We don't have revelation from John by any means. So we don't, so there's no like, this revelation of what is going to happen in the future, how Jesus is going to come back, how he's going to be in complete control. Like there's no revelation given by John uh, in, in Revelation. So we don't have that even to work with. Um, but we know that if James is one of the first people to write and he's writing to those in persecution, then there is a very good chance that those in persecution are the first ones being persecuted. And if it's those first ones being persecuted and being sent out from Jerusalem, then there's also a good chance that that persecution was happening by a guy and his name was Saul. Later, he's going to be Paul. He's going to write other parts of the Bible. But let's just say, for an instance, that this is uh, that this persecution is happening by Saul. And if we were going to say that James was writing to those people, then he's actually writing to those being persecuted in the book of Acts chapter 8. It says this, Acts 8.1. Now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time, um, a great persecution arose against the church. A great persecution, not little, not like someone throwing a couple rocks every now and then at somebody. This is a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, so in a central place. And they were all scattered. Here's that scattering, dispersion, right? The ones that James could have been talking to. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles, which would pretty much put people like James still potentially at Jerusalem, right? So there's the core group of these guys that are like really just into the word, that were with Jesus, that knew Jesus, that experienced Jesus in his life and in his death. And uh, now these are the guys that are staying in Jerusalem, but a lot of other people were scattered around. 
says verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. That's proof that that was Stephen that was killed there. But as for Saul, he made, and the New King James uses the word havoc, okay? He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So if you were even found out to be a part of this church, this new group, this Christian kind of belief, you were dragged off immediately and sent to prison. That's the type of persecution. And that was the, that was, I guess, the good sentence. Prison ultimately also then leads to death. And so that's what this, there's a fear. There's this great, and so in verse four it says, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere. And verse four says they were preaching the word. And so we get an idea of when James is writing in uh, James, uh, potentially in James chapter one, and he's writing to the dispersion, the 12 tribes that were sent out. Okay. These are potentially, those are 12 uh, Jews that were sent, uh, 12 Jewish tribes, people that were Jewish, that were sent out, that were Jewish Christians. They were all sent out and they were sent out of Jerusalem. So they were sent away from the Holy Land and they were then in Acts chapter uh Eight, we see that they were preaching the word. So um, this book of James was being read then among groups, and those groups of Christians were already people that were preaching the word, but James sought to further encourage them and equip them. That was his kind of his two main things. He was like, hey guys, I want to kind of make sure that I'm edifying you. I'm building you up in who you are. Okay. I want to make sure that you know who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. And so James kind of pushes and encourages the believers in that moment. So then uh, in James, we kind of are going to get to this kind of question, right? And just James chapter one, verse one, we get to a question and the question is, where are you? Okay, where are you? Does God see you? Does he know that you exist? Do other people even know you exist? There are some of you that might question that. If you haven't been called in the last like two weeks by a friend or a family member, you might wonder if that friend or family member even is still alive or exists or knows that you exist, right? And you have a name that maybe just came to your head. And the question right now is where are you? You know exactly where you're at. Some of you are sitting on a couch. Some of you are sitting at a table with a coffee. Okay, others of you have made a plate of bacon and you're snacking on it right now. Some of you might even just be at the beach, right? And we might know one or two of you at the beach. And so you might be sitting at the beach and you might be watching um, this, this at the beach. But whatever you're doing, you know, you're week to week, maybe you're working and it's just madness at work because you have to wear that mask. And maybe all of a sudden you went from wearing a mask to gloves and you're not a person that wears gloves and it's the gloves that make your hands sweat and it just makes you miserable. Or maybe you're staying at home, but now it's like week four or five and the kids, they just, they were very lovable. Um, but you forgot that one's birthday or, or this one all of a sudden realizes that they were supposed to go stay at a friend's house this week and that had to be canceled. And so so they're going to make your life just as miserable and, and you're like, oh, do I make their life miserable in return, right? It's a hard decision to make. You're, you're at odds with yourself. Maybe you're out of toilet paper and, and you're looking and you're like, oh man, how do I go find a store? And you're looking on Amazon and you're finding the Amazon version of toilet paper and you're questioning if two ply is really two ply or if it's one and a half and you're trying to read the reviews to find the right toilet paper. Uh, but maybe at the same time, you're like sitting at home and I just mentioned toilet paper and you look behind you and you're so ashamed because you have a stockpile and you're like, oh man, I, there, there's some people that are without toilet paper, but I have all this toilet paper. I feel so ashamed, right? Or maybe, uh, 
you've been able to call an old friend or you've been able to call a family member or you've been on a small group and you're one of those people that you've called or you've been on the small group but you've had to mute yourself because in that call or in that small group you just found that you're weeping right you're just crying because because the, 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 the screen time or the, the phone call and the, the audio is just not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not a hug. It's not an embrace. It's not a handshake. It's not seeing somebody's actual physical expression change without a short little glitch, right? And so you're kind of questioning things right now. Where are you at? You're in some place. And the reality is, is that God sees you where you're at. Okay? And so here's where we're going to go. Last Sunday, we learned to count it all joy, right? <laughs> Did Eddie know when he preached that that he was going to have a kidney stone? No, he didn't, right? But he has to figure out in this moment. He preached about hurricanes. He preached about storms. He preached about how he could stand firm in the foundation of his house. But if he would have remembered what 24 years prior, he might have even preached about 24 years ago when he had a kidney stone. But it's really hard to count it all joy in that moment. But still, we have to learn, we have to count it all joy. What is that joy? What is the context of that? That early persecution of the church is what James is talking to, but, but at the same time, we experience this persecution and this wrestling that we experience today. Today, you have a quarantine uh, with the coronavirus. You have kidney stones, like I said, or other health issues in the middle of the quarantine with the coronavirus. You have a confusion of the way that facts are being presented, either online, because if you Google it, it's a fact, on Facebook, because all of a sudden, the Facebook algorithms the way they work and we're not going to get into that but the way that they work they're cutting things out left and right if all of a sudden they don't check out with certain sources but then which sources are they checking out with do we really believe what's being said on one station or the other and it's just so confusing we don't know what to believe and it's even gotten to the point where people are arguing whether or not they're supposed to actually drink or inject Lysol I mean it's crazy and so we're not able to meet uh, we don't get to have any physical church and for some of you that's like the top of the iceberg just the fact that we can't go to a physical church building and meet it's driving you insane and you've actually thought about doing one of those drive up church services that you saw and you didn't matter it just you saw it and you're like I'm gonna go because I can drive up and I can be a part of the church or you've actually contemplated like oh is there a way that we can actually meet physically together in a group greater than 10 and like does it break the law does it not and there's a fight and there's an argument and there's a battle that's going within you and you're trying to make a decision and it's just hurting you so much and you're forgetting to count all things joy. And that's what I've been able to kind of experience in the last couple weeks that I've done small group. I try to be in every single small group because I want to not only see people that are in the church that I normally get to see on Sunday, but I love to hear the expressions and the opinions. And like Pastor Seth will say on Tuesday, he reads scripture and he reads it in black and white. But then all of a sudden, whenever he comes together and he has small group and he has the ability to read it with us, with you, it all of a sudden comes to color. And all of a sudden that scripture becomes alive and it begins to breathe. And then all of a sudden we understand what it means that the word of God is actually alive. And it is constantly in front of us and it constantly answers and it constantly speaks to the past and it speaks to our spirit. <clears throat> so in James chapter 1, we learn about counting things joy. But then we also learn that if anyone, asks, uh, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God. And so that part about lacking wisdom and asking God, there's a lot of questions there. Because when James says it, and he says it to the church, 
And if he were saying it in something like 40 AD, it's like, ah, James, that was so easy for you because most of these people are living in a time where Christ had just been alive and there was kind of like this temple and the tribes of Israel were all still kind of known. And you had, yeah, you had Romans and you had persecution, but James, you're writing to this time period when it really would have made sense to ask God. But would it? Would it really have made sense to say, just ask God? Would it not have created questions? And we have to remember that when James writes this letter, he doesn't write it just so that way I can sit on my chair, read it under a lamp or by a fireplace, and that be it. He doesn't write this letter just for me, myself, and I to read. He writes this letter so that the church those that are in the dispersion, those that are of the tribes that have been sent out, those Christians that are no longer in Jerusalem, those groups of people, he writes it knowing that these groups of people are going to read it together. And so whenever James says that if any of you ask, lacks wisdom, they should ask God together in a group, I think that one guy looks to another and he says, hey, what are you struggling with this week? Or one lady looks to another guy or to another lady and she's like, hey, listen, I'm really dealing with this this week and I'm trying to find joy because James told us to. And I know that he had a purpose in that, but I'm kind of, I'm really having a hard time with what I'm dealing with this week. And then all of a sudden, other believers get to use other scripture that they know and past experiences in their life and they speak into life with one another. And so for those 12 tribes that are in dispersion, they're actual groups of people that have been sent out and they're away and they're on their own, but they can rely on each other so that in the time that they're lacking wisdom and asking God, they can talk to other believers about what God is showing them. Adrift would we say we're helping each other see life from God's perspective. And in this moment of quarantine in the coronavirus time right now, we should be helping each other see life from God's perspective. Not just in the church, those that we normally know as our Driftwood family, but others, some that are believers and others that are not, okay? We can still help each other see life from God's perspective. So I'm gonna go through what we learned on each day this week, okay? And I hope that you get excited. Um, if you have any real questions, just come to small group. And the way you do that is you go online and you go to driftwoodchurch.com, you click on groups and you choose a group. I say that every week, but now I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna show you why that works out really well. On Monday, we learned that God hears us, but the question is, do we hear him? We learned that God hears us, but do we hear him? And that was found, we, we've been going into 1 Samuel. Okay, and in 1 Samuel, I'm going to break it down. I'm not going to read it, but feel free to read 1 Samuel if you want uh, at some point today. But Hannah, okay, Hannah is a lady that's brought to our attention. She is one of two wives, okay? She's one of two wives, so there's already a problem there. But the other wife, the other beloved wife, has children, and Hannah cannot. And there's actually described, it's a rivalry. It's it's one wife belittling the other wife saying look at me I have children and you don't and it's a husband that's doing the very best he can with his husband brain to make Hannah feel loved he gives her in first Samuel we learn he gives her extra portions at the special feast at the extra at the dinner because she doesn't have kids right because she is in bitterness because she is struggling and so if you're a female, you might see that as, oh, he's only giving me that extra food because I'm not producing children for him. 
and this other chick is. And so I look down on myself because of that. If you're the rival, then that's exactly what you would say. Oh, he only gave you extra food because he feels sorry for you, right? And so, but he is the husband, as far as we know, he's doing the best he can with what he's got and he might not be making the right decisions. But Hannah is being persecuted by a rival. Hannah is described as having a bitterness of soul. She can't eat, she's devastated. Hannah approaches the throne of God in prayer. That's the next thing that we see. She gets up, she decides, I'm going to go to the temple, and she approaches the throne of God in prayer. And in verse 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah gives us a prayer, the prayer that she gives to God. And I've kind of broken it down, and within the best context that I can, I've kind of given it some words of, of, of how Hannah might scream it out in this way. She says, God, you control a mighty army. God, Lord of hosts, right? She says, God, you're the one that controls a mighty army. You fought battles before. Okay, she knew that God had fought battles before. So, you can fight my battle too. Please look at me. Don't neglect me. Here is what I want. She asked for a son. That's what she wants. But she asked for a son and is willing to give him back to her. So does she really want a son? And this is what we talked about in, on Monday night. Does she really want a son? No. She says, but this is what she's saying when she says she's willing to give that son back. What I want more than anything else is to know that I'm being heard by you. I want to know more than anything else, God. This is what Hannah is saying in her prayer, that I have a relationship with you, that you hear me, that I can hear from you and you hear me. And so uh, if, you're, if you know Hebrew words, you know that El Shema is the God who hears. You flip that around, you get something like Shamuel, which is Samuel. God has heard. God heard me, requested by God. And there's the thunder and the lightning. God has heard, right? Uh, but God hears us, but at the same time, how do we know? And this baby Samuel that's born to Hannah, that's how she says she knows. She knows for a fact that God has heard her. And so Samuel's ministry now moving forward in Samuel, we actually see that Samuel ends up hearing from God and responding based off of what he hears from God. From a little baby that's brought to the temple, or a small child that's brought to the temple and grows up, he hears from God. And so Samuel's ministry is going to be one that finally shows what it is like to hear from God and respond based off of that. And it's going to throw everyone into this craze of what does it actually look like to hear from God. And so if you're curious of that, Monday nights is when we're studying this. Okay? But it also gives us the, the hope of, hey, where are you? Where are you at right now? God hears you. And there's proof of that in Samuel. Tuesday night, we moved to Psalm 4. So in Psalm chapter 4, Seth has been going through Psalms. So Pastor Seth has been going through the Psalms. And what we kind of pull from Psalm chapter 4 is this. Ask and be confident because... So Psalm 4 is a confident psalm. Ask and be confident because God has done this before. That's kind of what I got to. Why can we be confident in who God is? Because we can see what he has done before. And so the psalm of, of 
Psalm chapter 4 kind of breaks down and this, this person in question, uh, whether it be David, whether it be you, whether it be Jesus, whoever, these psalms are kind of interpreted in this way. This Psalm chapter 4, is, it starts off with kind of being this guy that's persecuted or this person, this individual that's being feeling persecuted by the world, by an individual, by a group. And he comes before God, but then in verse 6, after kind of coming to some conclusions, verse 6, the ultimate conclusion that he has is he says, The world asks this question, who will show us some good? So the world asks, who is going to show us good? Where can good be found? In this moment, okay, is God really good? Why would he create this? Those questions that we hear, right? Is there any real good in the world? And... The quote that the psalm pulls from, the psalmist pulls from, is actually from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. In verse 6, he follows up the question of who will show us good to this uh, quotation from Numbers, which is, lift up the light of your face upon us. What he's doing is he's pulling in the blessing that the priest Aaron would have for the Israelites from the pe for the people in Numbers chapter 6. And if you want to read it, you're free to do it yourself. But he reads this, he kind of states this quote, and any Jewish person would have said, oh, that's from Numbers chapter 6, without actually saying it was Numbers chapter 6, but they would have known what that quote was. And so what that shows us is verse 6 says that when we're in doubt, we should look back. We should look back to what God has done for us. Something like communion, being able to look back on what Jesus has done for us. But in the Psalm chapter 4, we, they look back on what God has done for them. Verse 7, there's gladness in heart is described as being greater than a physical blessing. To have gladness in heart, to have joy in my heart, God, if you give me that, it is greater than wine, than food, than any physical thing that I can have that would be a blessing from you. Would it be a blessing for the coronavirus to just disappear? Yes. But what's the greater blessing for God to be able to give us joy and gladness in our heart? That is the greater blessing. No matter what the question is, the greater blessing is can God give you joy and gladness in your heart? And that is something to always be able to look forward to. Do you feel a loss of peace right now? Maybe. Yes. Well, look forward to the fact that God can give you gladness of heart. Do you feel like you might not be joyful? Do you miss your friends? Do you miss your family? Do you miss the hugs? Yes. But right now, God can give you gladness of heart. So you should be looking forward to the fact that he can give that to you right now. And so... Does God hear us? Where are you at? Yes, God hears you. He sees you. He knows where you're at. And he has the ability to meet your needs, to be able to give you this gladness of heart. On Wednesday, uh, I read with my boys, okay, we do small group with students. Uh, the girls do their own small group. The adults do a small group on Wednesday. So we all kind of break up. But I, I'm able to do small group on Wednesday with my boys. And we read Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 3, there's a guy that has kind of like this withered hand, right? And so he's described as having this ailment. And uh, the Jesus is on the Sabbath day, on a quote, you know, on the holy day, Sabbath day. He's in the temple. There's this guy with a withered hand. And the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're looking at Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, what's you going to do? Are you really going to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Jesus, that's work. You shouldn't do work on the Sabbath. And they were trying to use this as a time of, against him. And Jesus looks and he asks a simple question. He says, is there, and this is, again, kind of a paraphrase, right? He's like, is there ever a bad time to do something good 
And is there ever a good time to do something bad? Is there a bad time to do something righteous? Is there a good time to do something evil? That's a question he poses, and it leaves them speechless. They don't want to talk. There's quiet. And it makes Jesus mad. And so Jesus heals the guy, and immediately the Pharisees start to kind of get together with other people that they don't necessarily agree with, but they want to kill Jesus. So they get together and they start plotting his death. But Jesus doesn't necessarily seem concerned with that because the next immediate uh, part that we see is that Jesus gathers together his followers and he calls from those followers of people that follow him. He calls forth, though, 12 men. And those 12 men each have a story. And so where are you at this morning? Because you got a story. Where am I at this morning? I'm right here in front of this camera, but there are also four people that are sitting uh, behind the camera and a dog. Right? And each one of them has got a story. Right? So Keone's story is four and a half years in the making. But right now, part of Keone's story is that he loves Play-Doh. Uh, yesterday, we got Keone this Star Wars mask. So he's now Kylo Ren. He can run around with a Star Wars mask and a lightsaber. And we got, what? did you want to say something, Keone? And we got Keone this really cool Nerf gun. Did you want to say hi to everybody? So they know that you're really here? No, I, I want to show them how fast I am. Oh, no, we can't show them how fast you are. Keone also has found out that the Flash is really fast, and so he likes to run super fast like the Flash. You might not see him because he runs so fast in front of the camera. But either way, we all have a story, and you've experienced this, maybe, uh, if you're like me. I'm one of those weird people. I drive in my car, and as I drive in my car, I see someone pass me, and I'm like, I wonder what's going on with them. You know, like you pass the people right now, there's two types of people driving on the road right now. There's the ones with the big white mask on driving down the road, and then there's the ones that don't have the mask on. And you wonder, you're like, is their car really so contaminated that they have to wear a mask? Or are they wearing a mask because they touch their face so much? Like, what's the real reason that the mask is on their face? And then when you walk in the store, like me, if you walk in the store and you don't have a mask on, you feel kind of judged. But then you see someone else without the mask and you're like, oh, okay, they're in the same boat I am. You know, like they're feeling. The... And so you like start to relate with people randomly and weirdly as you drive. And the reality is that each one of us has a story. And we kind of feel like we can relate when someone has the same story as us. And whenever you look at uh, Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls 12 different guys and each one has a different story. And one of the people that has a story that Jesus called was Judas Iscariot. He's the guy that we know is going to betray Jesus. But even up until the moment when Judas is betraying Jesus, the disciples don't understand that Judas is going to betray Jesus. The only person besides, the only person that knows that Judas is going to betray Jesus is us when we read Mark at the very beginning and we continue through. Okay, we know from the beginning he's going to betray Jesus because it says it. But the person that really knew that Judas was going to betray Jesus was back then and that was Jesus. But Jesus still calls him. Jesus still invites him to follow after him, to be a disciple. And he gives him the power to be able to preach. And he gives him the ability to, to go out, preach, and lead people ultimately to Jesus. But also the power to fight off Satan. He gives him that power. 
So he gives Judas this power. Why does he give his disciples this power? He gives them this power because that's the same power that he gives us. He gives us the power to be able to preach, to be able to share the good news, to be able to heal the soul in that, but then also to be able to fight the devil. And that's what we talked about with the, the middle school boys that I have. Is that They have the power, if they're followers of Jesus, they have the power to fight the devil. And so where are you at right now? Did you know that where you're at right now, even sitting on your couch, you have the ability to fight the devil? And what does that look like? I don't know. You're going to have to get in a small group and, and God will start to talk to you in that way. Thursday, again, we kind of recap everything. So Captain Matt, uh, Dan McVeigh is going through and he recaps everything from Sunday's sermon. And so that's what he calls us to be able to do. Um, and so uh, on Thursday, we just kind of were reminded that we should prepare now because trials will come. But when those trials come... We need to trust God with the results. So we should prepare. You should prepare. There is preparing that happened. But in the midst of the trial, trust that God is going to give us the results. And in that, we can pray consistently because God calls us to do that. So that was in James. But then finally on Friday, we go to Romans. And Romans chapter 15 uh, is what Zane is in. Or Romans chapter 5, not Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 5 is what Zane is in right now. And uh, this is kind of the idea. This is, this is where it comes down to. Jesus gives one gift. He gives one gift to everybody, and it's completely free. Jesus gives one gift, and he gives one gift to everyone, and it's completely free. And so what we're going to do is I want to read through. That's all we're going to do with this part of Romans. But I want to read through Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And so I'm going to read it. And again... What we do in small group is we talk about these things, right? But here, let me read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I'm going to read from the New King James uh, Version. So if you have a different one, there might be a little bit different wording, but follow along with me if you got your Bible. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So sin is imputed to be put into. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. Verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come, who was to come. Verse 15, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, 
Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So where are you today? Where are you at today? And this is where I want you, this is what I want you to ask yourself right now. Where am I? What am I doing right now? Physically, am I sitting on a couch or at the beach? That's great. But where are you at right now spiritually? Listen to this. God hears you and sees you. He hears you and he sees you. The question is, do you hear him? Look around you. Maybe it's raining. Right now it's raining here, and we can hear the rain on the sunlight, the little uh, thing that Eddie just had repaired not too long ago, and it's not dripping. Okay, it was thundering and lightning earlier. We heard, we heard the thunder. We saw the lightning. The, the power went out for like a brief second earlier in the sermon. I saw that. Okay, I can see things physically. And God gives us the ability to see things physically. He gives you the ability to see the moon, the stars. He gives you the ability to see the sun. He gives the ability for the day to last a certain amount of time. And who would have ever thought that God would design the earth to tilt in such a way where the day would be longer some days than others and the night would be longer some days than others. God has the ability to create that balance and that order that only he can do. And it's not just for our earth, not just for our planet, but for an entire solar system. And if you've ever watched anything by Louis Giglio, you know that he can bring things he brings things from the earth to the solar system all the way back to earth and down to you as an individual on the earth and he has the ability God has the ability to give you every single breath he knows every hair that's on your head or every hair that might not be on your head he knows everything that's about you and yet at the same time we have to ask ourselves the question do we hear from him am I hearing from him am I seeing life through God's perspective, do I understand that God is literally doing things all around me that point to the fact that there is a creator that exists, that he, he made me, he made you, he made the dog that you have maybe sitting next to you or the cat that might be wandering away because that's what cats do and you can't call it back to you. He made that animal that's in front of you. He made the child that you're kind of questioning whether or not you actually want home right now. Right? He made all of these things that are around us. He, has, he knows everything about them, every fiber of their being, every cell that goes down into them and how those cells break apart. God created these things and he knows these things. Okay? God has proven himself in the past. And if we have any questions about that, we have the word of God to read that. But we also have a testimony. If you know that God is alive and active in your, in your life, if you know that Jesus Christ saved you, you have a testimony of what God has done in you. So you know what God is, that God has been able to prove himself in the past. Why is right now any different? Why are the last four weeks any different? Why do we ask, is God really in this or is God really doing this right now? We always do that in the moment, but the reality is, is that we need to look to the past. That's why God's given it to us, to be able to see where he's pulled us from. And the reality is, is when we look back to the past, we have to ask ourselves right now, based on the past, can I be confident that he's going to come through for me right now? That he's going to come through in my future? And I would hope that the answer is yes. That should give us hope. And then we continue on and we look and we see that Jesus knows our story. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're going to do. He knows he actually, in, if you read the story of Jesus calling his disciples in the other gospels, um, we see that Philip is going to go to his friend Nathaniel and Philip ends up going to Jesus and he says, wait, I've got to go get my friend. And he runs back and he calls Nathaniel and Nathaniel's like, hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Does, does that really happen? Like Nazareth is a nasty, disgusting place. Is there, is there really anything that good that can come from that? And Nathaniel comes to Jesus and Jesus says, whoa, this is a right 
righteous Jew. Man, this guy has got it all together. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know who I am? And Jesus is like, hey, when you were sitting underneath of that fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel's like, ooh, mind blown. He's like, this is truly the son of God. How did you know where I was? You didn't see Philip even go, like Philip disappeared over the horizon to come find me. How could you have known that I was underneath of this fig tree? And Jesus is showing that he knows our story. He knows who we are. He knows where we are in the moment, where we were in the past. He knows where we will be in the future. And he offers a free gift of salvation to the world. Jesus paid the penalty for sin. That's like sin, like sin in general. He paid the penalty for the sin of the world. Okay, and that's paying the penalty for the sin of the world means no matter what you've done, no matter what somebody else has done, no matter what your friend has done, no matter what your mom did, God has the ability, he has already had the ability by dying on the cross, he has forgiven that sin. He's paid the penalty for that sin and the question again is, do you have confidence in him? And so this morning, ultimately what this comes down to is where are you today? Where are you? Do you trust that God has paid the penalty for your sin? Okay, do you trust that he has? If you do, then that's awesome. It means that you have a story to tell. It means that you have something to share. It means you have a testimony. It means you have something you can look back on. Nobody can take it away from you. It's your story. Jesus knows it. You know that he paid for your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin regardless. And now he's going to be moving forward. But if you're here this morning and you're asking yourself, hey, where am I with God? And you don't know. You're not sure. You, you kind of do the church thing, but now that you haven't had to go to church, you're kind of like just clicking around. Like someone might have shared this video and you decided, hey, what the heck, I'll stay on and I'll watch. And, and, and you're here and you're watching and you're like, eh, uh, I'm not sure about Jesus. I'm not sure about God, but I'd like to be sure. I'd like to have confidence. I'd like to know that in the midst of all this trial, in the midst of all this persecution, in the midst of the sickness, I can have hope. I can have future. I, I want to be sure in that. I want to have confidence in that. And I just want to kind of share with you that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin. So don't come or don't try to make the excuse or don't try to think about the excuse of, oh, well, I've done such and such. Or don't even try to come up with the excuse of, hey, right now I am doing such and such. Levi was a tax collector. He's one of the guys that Jesus calls to follow him. Levi was actually in the middle of exchanging money when Jesus called him. Levi was in the middle of doing something that was sinful when Jesus called him. And then also there were two guys that were on the cross with Jesus. One that belittled him, one that actually looked to Jesus and said, Jesus, please forgive me. Please let me be with you forever. Jesus, I know who you are. And that guy was in the middle of his punishment for his sin. Okay, and so Jesus looks to him and says, listen, today you're with me forever in paradise. Jesus calls him. Jesus forgives him. Jesus paid the penalty for his sin right then. He knew he was about to die on the cross. He said, hey, what I'm about to do is going to pay the penalty for whatever you've done. I am going to pay the penalty for all sin. And the question is, do you have confidence that I've done that? And that is what it means to have salvation. We know who we are. We know that we're covered by sin. That's the reality. But we also trust in the fact that Jesus' blood pays the penalty for that sin. And because Jesus has paid the penalty for the sin, now through that confidence, I have the ability to walk in faith. I have the ability to grow. And as I grow closer uh, and more in love with God, I can grow more in love with other people. So the question is, where are you at today? And the answer that you give is your testimony. Where are you at today? Share your testimony maybe in the comments below, something really, really short. Where are you at today? 
And throughout the rest of this week, I want you to ask that question as you wake up or as you go about your day. What am I doing? Where am I at? Does God hear me? And the answer is yes. Don't even doubt it. Have confidence in it. And the reason why you can have confidence is because what I want you to do when you ask, where am I at? Where am I today? I want you to look back and say, God, what did you do for me yesterday? God, what did you do for me three months ago? God, whenever you saved me, what did that look like? Think about that and use it and say, God, whatever happens in the next minute, whatever happens in the next second, God, I trust you. I have confidence because of what you've been able to do for me in the past. And if you're here and you do not know where that confidence comes from, if you can't have true confidence in God, then the question is, have you really given your life to Jesus? Have you made the decision to be confident in that? And what I would what I suggest that you do right now is just think about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. Think about the fact that Jesus being the son of God came to earth, lived among men, and he got upset about some things that were worth getting upset about. But overall, what Jesus ended up doing was he ended up looking on the world and saying, you know what, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I am dying for them. I am paying my blood for them. And I'm going to trust that you will call all those who would to come to salvation. And right now, if you're in front of a screen and you're watching this, I want you to know that God is calling you to salvation. The question is, are you going to trust him with it. And if you want to trust God with your salvation today, then I encourage you to do so with just a simple cry out to God, just a prayer. And it's like literally like talking to God and you just talk to God however you would and ask him, tell him that you can be confident in him. And then if you would also, if you're here, no matter who you are, whether you're first time believing in Jesus, you just need to increase your faith just a little bit more. You feel like you were doubting or you're kind of on fire for Jesus and you can't wait for it. I want you to join us this week in small group. Because small groups is where we have the ability to ask and to seek and to knock and work with other believers to be able to be built up in our confidence and in, in the wisdom that God would give us. And we offer those online, but you can also do the same thing. If you have believers in your family or if you have friends and you guys just want to talk on the phone, consider having uh, conversations about scripture. Consider talking about what God is doing in your life. Consider when you drive down the road or whenever you're at Walmart checking out or Target or wherever, and you might have the mask or you might not, or you might be behind the glass shield or maybe they haven't put it up yet. Consider just talking to that cash register lady and, or that guy and just say, hey, listen, I'm so thankful that God has allowed you to continue to have your job so that you can serve us. And I'm so sorry if anyone's hurt you today, but I want you to know that God sees you, he hears you, and I just want you to know I see you and I appreciate you. How easy is that to do? And we can consistently help each other other see life from God's perspective. So what I want you to do right now is uh, if you are sitting with someone in family, I want you to look at them and I want you to say, God sees you. God sees you. God hears you. God knows who you are and where you're at. If you're sitting alone right now, what I want you to do is just know that we're saying that to you. God sees you. God hears you. God knows exactly where you're at. And the proof is that found in all of his word. And what he's doing is he's trying to say, I see you, I know where you're at, and here's why you can be confident in me. I have sent Jesus Christ to pay for your sin, and no matter what, that's gonna be the greatest blessing. No matter what, I've got you in the palm of my hand. So thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, would you guys pray with me as we head out? And then I've got just a quick little reminder. Father, thank you 
for the opportunity to be able to read your word this morning. Thank you for the fact that we can be confident and that we can trust in you. God, uh, pray for Pastor Eddie and the kidney stone that's moving through. Uh, and Father, that, that can pass soon. Uh, God, allow that scripture that this too shall pass. God, let it happen as quickly as possible. Uh, it's a confidence that we can look for even if it's out of context. And uh, God, just let us be confident in that. And Father, thank you for this time that we get to spend to be able to be in your word, to be able to read uh, what it is that you have us to do. Father, thank you for this moment when the internet is exploding with scripture, with Bible teachings, with lessons, with sermons, so that those that are in the world that are receiving access to the internet, some for the first time, they're able actually to hear about you through the internet because we're inundating it with scripture. And Father, I ask that we just continue to do that. We continue to grow in it and uh, that, Father, your name be glorified and just one more person come to know who you are. Father, let us place our confidence in you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.